0: you know, for those of us who are- Are you talking about
1: Dr. Phil, who's not even fucking licensed. I'm
0: not not saying any (laughs) names, but- Dr. Phil?
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're going to get sued for sure. As podcast fans, Kristen Madison and Samantha Hugan enjoyed listening to the wild tales and adventures of others, learning more about the world around them. However, both secretly wanted to join in on the conversation. It wasn't until one fateful day when they discovered they both wanted the same thing. They wanted to be right. One of Us is Right is a podcast where guests and hosts discuss the latest hot topics, offering unique multicultural views. Through research, self-discovery, and stories, listeners just like you will decide for themselves which one is right. At the end of the day, what does it mean to be right in these unprecedented times? Hey, Kristen, how are you?
0: Hey, Samantha, I'm good. What's going on?
1: You're about to bust out laughing. No, you tell me what you're laughing about because I'd rather be like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was laughing because today I am not working. And I'm glad to not be working because I am overworked. I've been working a lot and I've been thinking about you as a therapist. And I know that therapy in the last couple of years has exploded. But the question that really was rolling around in my head is, how does the matchup work between a therapist and a the client? Is there a dance? Do you just take anybody who comes your way? How does that work?
1: Oh, my gosh. Where do I begin with all of that? Because I'm very passionate about the therapeutic relationship. So thank you for bringing it up. I really uh, love this topic. So I could talk for hours about it, but that's boring. And who just wants to hear my opinion on it? So I thought, what if I bring some other therapists in and we have a conversation about just that? How do you feel? Let's
0: do it. Love a conversation.
1: Let's position ourselves real quick. Um, I'm going to say that it's hard to find a good therapist. I know y'all you're like, what? She is going against her own kind. I am. I'm going to say it's hard to find a good therapist. What say you?
0: So what I say and I am not a therapist, but I believe that there there should be a matchmaking process and that if you do it right, everybody can be
1: matched up. Let's see. Let's see All which right. one of us is right. Who's going to help us? Who is going to help us? Who do we have on the show today? Brittany, Lana, welcome to One of Us is Right. Please introduce yourself. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me.
2: I am Brittany Young. I am an African-American, heterosexual, cisgendered, married and family therapist, as well as a sex therapist. Just kind of keep it short. I can be found at www.beyoungtherapy.com and also on Instagram at beyoungtherapy. We love it.
1: Welcome.
3: We love it. Lana, who are you? Hi, I'm Lana Venegas. I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist. I am cisgendered heterosexual female. I am of Eastern European descent and I can be found at themarriagepoint.com. We love it. Thanks,
1: y'all, for coming. So, as you heard in our little intro, Today, we're talking all things therapy, and I thought, who do I respect and honor and love more in this world, in this therapy setting, than you guys? So I think you can help us figure out, how do you find a therapist? What is a niche? What is a good therapeutic bond and relationship? What does it all mean? Because, Kristen, you said it best, like, over the last couple of years, because of the pandemic, so thank you, COVID, (laughs) you know, people have really turned towards therapy, which I love. Because I don't know how it was for you in the beginning. I know the beginning and pre-COVID, everyone was like, oh, my God, you're a sex therapist. That's (laughs) not real therapy. I don't know why anyone would come see you. And now people are like, holy crap, I need you. And what, how, how, what, where? And so I really want to kind of open that discussion up. So when people are thinking of entering into this wonderful world of healing and this journey that's called therapy, They have a little bit more knowledge because I do think in some regards, our profession is um, a
3: mystery, which it should not be. I completely agree with that. I think therapists have been operating under this veil of mystery. I don't know who created the veil, but I definitely know it exists. And I agree with you, Sam. We definitely need to be more kind of open uh, so that people can find us. People can understand what therapy is all about. And, you know, I believe that if a therapist presents as approachable and open and like human, people Mm -hmm. will be more likely to get the help they need rather than feel shamed, you know, because I think with shame, we don't have a lot of information, right? I think it comes from lack of information and the need for hiding. And so if something is hidden on either side. I think people can start to feel a sense of shame. I, you know, I'm the only one who's having this problem and I don't even know how therapy, this mysterious process even works. So I'm with you. I think we need to be open and approachable and we don't need to be mysterious. That's not part of the draw.
1: I think that's a good point. And I, when I was listening to you, the thing I thought that makes us, this is my hypothesis why I think we are a little mysterious is because as we clinicians are taught to do therapy, we have this thing called the code of ethics. Mm-hmm. And the code of ethics is like, never get close to your clients. Never tell them anything about you. It is not about you. Therefore, you should keep your mouth shut and it's all about the client. Which is, yes, I do agree that therapy is not about us. We are not. It's not our show. It's the client show. It is all about them. A hundred million trillion percent. But at the same time, if we're going to ask somebody to tell us their deep, dark secrets and things that are, like you said, shameful or hard, they need to see us as humans and allies, not these like mystical unicorn people that have it all, quote, together. And y'all, I'm using air quotes. And so I think the code of ethics scare off a lot of clinicians from being humans. I don't know if that Mm -hmm. is correct, but that's always been rattling around in my mind. Brittany, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, I certainly relate to that. I recall this um, tabula rosa, I think that's what it was called, where you just blank slate come into um, a room. And that was taught during the master's program. They were saying, you got to be a good clinician, then you just, you're a blank slate. You're basically the
1: client is talking to
2: a brick wall, <laughs> so oh to gosh. speak. Yeah. So, tough. does
1: that like what you do? Like, is that what y'all think is the vibe? <laughs> A little bit. Guys, I'll say that they're all shaking their heads, by the way, just to let you know, <laughs> their head. They're like, not a snowball's chance.
2: Well, I will say that um, when I think about being professional, being ethical, I do think about strong boundaries. I find that especially in the sexuality field and working in that regard, having an even higher sense of boundaries um, to make sure it's very clear that this is professional That this isn't, I'm not someone who's going to tell you to take your clothes off or watch you have sex or anything of that nature. It almost needs more of a muscle of a professionalism is what I personally will professionally find to do.
1: I definitely agree. Um, We have an episode with Dr. Christopher Bellows, who is a sex therapist as well. And we were a little bit touching on that, that boundary aspect. But I'd also add boundaries are amazing and we need them, especially, I believe, in in the sex therapy field. But also you can have boundaries and still be a human. I think there's a, a fine line, yes, but you can be a capable clinician and do the dance where your people
3: are seeing you as people as well. Absolutely. I agree with that. I think we do need to have a strong ethical standing and we do need to adhere to boundaries. But I feel like it's really the easy way out when we're this or that right where we're like we have strong boundaries therefore you know nothing about me mm-hmm. you i don't emote at all and i'm really this blank slate that's sort of easy to do i think in order to maintain healthy boundaries what's more difficult is to maintain that healthy and strong boundary while showing your humanity while showing how your clients emotional experiences are landing on you so mm-hmm. that you can empathize so that you can get in there and intervene in the best possible way. So I agree with you. Strong boundaries don't mean being non-human anymore, right? I think it means more getting stronger in yourself as a therapist and that self as a therapist is able to then come out, be a therapist while being the self and being human.
1: And that's kind of what we ask of our clients, right? Like we want them to show up authentically. So like, why can't we? And we're going to have reactions. I I got called out once by a client. My face, y'all, is more expressive than my voice. I'm I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Everyone here knows it. And so I once got caught by a client making a face of like WTF and just went and reached for my drink because I was like, I need a minute to collect my thoughts. And they called <laughs> me out on it. And I was like, you know what? I am going to tell you what I was thinking. And And it worked. It was a good intervention. It was a good moment. So, you know, I think emoting the boundaries, all of that is part of what makes a good therapeutic relationship. But Kristen, I'm going to come back to you because you said you had a question. Tell us. what, do you, what So you the
0: question I had really from the client's perspective is what if the client has a boundary and isn't really willing or ready to go there during a session? How do you guys handle that?
2: Oh, goodness. I've seen a recent post about this actually on social media amongst the therapists. And I think generally it's not taken ideally very well. I think oftentimes what therapists, well, at least what I found in that post is that they will look to see where they're going wrong. They're like, okay, I am intervening incorrectly. Let me see what I can do to pry this baby open or something like that.
1: I wonder, Brittany, I know you, sorry to interrupt you, but I know you do trauma work. Lana, Mm -hmm. I think you do as well. And I'm wondering like from your perspective as a trauma therapist, what Okay, I'm going to speak for you because I think I know what you're going to say. So please correct me if I'm wrong. But like as a trauma therapist, we know when we hit that wall, like we have to tread lightly to one, maintain the relationship, but also not re-traumatize or re-injure the client. Absolutely. So like, so this post is saying that the therapist then makes it about themselves. And I'm just sitting here going, huh? Can yeah. You, what? Can you explain that a little bit more for people who are just like not understanding therapy or, and what? Like what does that mean? What does that look like if the client is is resistant and we're like, oh, no, it's us. I mean, when I think about my trauma clients, when I just
2: think about people and how they operate in in general, there's a trust that's really involved there. Mm -hmm. You know, in past experience involving trauma, trust has been broken. There's been some sort of betrayal along the way. Mm -hmm. So to just come into this open space with a stranger and say, I automatically trust you. That doesn't even make sense in context, you know,
1: we do so, have to earn our clients trust. That's a that's a really beautiful point. And I think people are like, well, it's my first session. It's my intake. I guess I'll just bleed out on the floor and tell people all the things about me, even though I've never met this person in my life.
0: That's a great point, because, I, you know, I've had a couple of therapists over the years and I, I felt that like I'm like, all right, I got to lay it all out. And then to help me <laughs> pick up all the pieces
3: I think Mm -hmm. that when a therapist starts to take it personally that a client demonstrates a boundary or doesn't want to go into a discussion about a certain topic, I think that is a demonstration of the therapist's low differentiation, right? And then they're not working. What does differentiation mean, please, for folks at home? Yeah. So the way I understand differentiation, and Brittany knows because we share, I think, this approach Um, It's this ability to stand on your own two feet while being in relationship with someone else. So this means that you're able to have your own viewpoints, your own thoughts, your ability to self-soothe whenever you get dysregulated, while you are able to engage with another person. So you're not like swallowed up by, by another human being, neither are you super disconnected, right, or at all disconnected from another human being. And so I think when a therapist reacts by internalizing or taking it personally, they are being affected by the client's anxiety or perceived rejection. Mm-hmm. And so the, the self of the therapist there needs some work, in my opinion. I and know. I think that's a that's not really done about the client anymore, And which goes back to the code of ethics that we were discussing. Right. And just so
1: um, we're clear, y'all, that means if the self of the therapist is being triggered or it's coming out in some way then that is the responsibility of the therapist to seek counsel. So yeah. either through supervision, consultation, um, or their own therapy, that is not in any way, shape, or form the client's responsibility to help them with that. The self of the therapist is the therapist's issue and we have the tools to do stuff behind the scenes. So I just want to clarify that. Brittany, you had something else to add. Well,
2: I don't know. It was an important oh. point, what you just added. And I do find that there are clients who they just want to take care of their therapist because that's a part of what they're coming in for uh, mostly is they want to take care of people and finding that balance with holding space for themselves. That's not
1: so much there. So I'm glad that you made that disclaimer there. So if someone's like, okay, this sounds great. This sounds super fun. Uh, I love a therapy moment. How do we find a therapist? Like what, what would your guys's well, if someone came to you, some random came to you and was like, hey, I want to find a therapist. Where do you go? Like, how do you navigate oh, that? Yeah.
2: First, I empathize with them because it is so hard finding a therapist. Mm-hmm. I've been through quite a few myself, actually.
1: <laughs> I think I've and went through four therapists myself until landing on what I call like my forever therapist. What? You're supposed to see a therapist forever? No, not not necessarily. I just got some work to do and I like my lady so much that I will continue to do the work with her. Um, But it took me a while to find her and find, yeah. you know, somebody that like got it and didn't make me feel like poop or didn't make me feel like I need to over explain. Shout out to Karen. Yeah, her name is Karen. I know we did an episode about that too, uh, but she's not a Karen. She's great. She's amazing. And I'm grateful for her, but it took a hot minute to find her and golly i'm not letting go i do have a fear that she will retire one day and i'm like please karen please please don't don't leave me but you know what if she does she needs to live her life too and i i trust her to find me a replacement if and when that day comes so anyway i just wanted to add that y'all
2: no can we normalize that though i have found that there's so many clients who are essentially do this one and done thing it's like i go to a therapist they
1: suck the whole thing sucks. Yeah. But I don't know where you works. were going with that statement. And I was like, one and done. Like, what? The-? You're right. Like, yeah. <laughs> so can you tell us about, like, if you have a bad experience, how do you overcome? Yes. It, okay. So with being a therapist, seeing
2: therapists, running into things that just don't mesh well or just really, we're not going to work well together. And you get that vibe. What to do. Ideally, what you want to do is communicate. This isn't going to work and then move on. But that is such a hard ask. You mean as a client? As a client. Yeah. To communicate. I don't think that this is going to work and I'm going to move on something of that nature. I'd say that that's a hard ask. And even though during my intakes, I tell my clients to be very transparent with me about if they feel something is not vibing with them, so to speak. Um, But as being a client, it's like, how do I break this down? Let me rehearse this. Do I even need to do this? Or maybe it's better to ghost. And most people ghost. I was told during schooling that our clients
1: speak with their feet. Mm. Oh, I like that speak. I mean, I don't like that. I don't. That's sad. But I also like that saying. That's okay. Okay. Just to clarify, y'all, I'm not a fan of the ghosting. That is not what we're put on this earth to do. We should have the ability. And you're right. I'm thinking back to Miss Karen. Oh, my God. I hope she doesn't mind that I'm talking about her. But I remember once we had a session and I was like, what trash is this? I just didn't like it. I was like, I can't even remember what happened. I just remember leaving being like, "Mm -mm, this is not working for me and thinking, do I need to end this? You know, this was like maybe two years into our relationship or something. So we had established a a relationship and I still was like, I got to go. But I challenged myself to be like, no. I love her. I love this. This is working. I'm going to, if I was the therapist, I would want to know from my clients what was not working. And it was actually a cool experience for me as a person. And then as a clinician, because I was able to tell her what I didn't like, and we had a conversation and it, and it was great. So what I'm saying y'all is yes, it's scary, but Mm -hmm. as a, as a therapist myself, want that feedback, want to know what worked and what didn't work, want to know what you're feeling. Um, I've got people sometimes as a, as the therapist that I'll try to do interventions and I'm like, come on, this could be fun. And they're like, absolutely fucking not. And I will ask them, like, okay, why are we resistant to this? Like, why do you think this isn't like a thing that we should try? I'll hear them out. And usually we can come to the conclusion of like, let's say it's like more of the art quote art therapy side where I want them to draw something or color something. They're like, I don't do that. You know, I might coax him into just trying, but if it doesn't, if it like lands on his ass, like, obviously I'm not going to be like, you know what, we're going to draw again. I really appreciated (laughs) the fact that you hated it. And I think we're going to do it again, you know, but it's a, it's a dance. It's a conversation. I think that's what a compromise. Yeah. yeah, Cause it's a team. It's a teamwork effort. So our package deals, a thing in, in the therapy world, what do you mean? Like, you know,
0: so in, in coaching, we'll. I you know my basic package is like three months of the coaching, three times a month. That kind of
1: oh, campaign. you mean like how often package. you see somebody? I thought you meant like do you tag team it with another therapist, which is a we can do a part no. one and a part two. A package no, like
0: like okay, we will do mm-hmm. twelve sessions, whatever that kind of thing.
1: Well, I'm thinking of this new thing that just came out earlier in 2022, which is called the No Surprises Act, and you're supposed to tell your clients what mm-hmm. you estimate how many sessions you will be seeing your client, which is like not really the therapeutic way. Um, We do a thing called treatment plans where we as clinicians anticipate how long we'll be working with a client, whether we hit that or go beyond it or not. Um, But it's usually dependent on like what is going on and what the client wants and Mm -hmm. the presenting problem. So you will have a fee agreement and you will have this no surprise act where you're estimating But it's not like we anticipate, or for me, I'll speak as myself, I anticipate working with somebody until the cows come home. I I want people to ride off into the sunset and live their lives with the tips and tricks and the tools that we've established and come back if they feel like they need to. Uh, So for me, it's never like, I'm going to keep them forever, or I'm going to keep them for 12 sessions, or I'm going to keep them for 12 whole months, once a week. That's a discussion that I have with my clients. Lana, Brittany, how do you handle that? So
3: as a couples therapist, primarily I work with couples, right? The way I have been trained and the way I've noticed couples clients get the most for their investment in therapy is if they are able to give therapy a really good chance, right? So in my initial session with my couple, I will let them know. I am anticipating seeing them and treating them for at least six to eight weeks in order to, for them to feel like they're making at least some progress and hitting some of their goals that are outlined right there on the treatment plan. Especially with couples, it takes a little while to really unpack and understand their story. And here you are holding the internal emotional world for two people at the same time, right? And you want to balance it. You want to make sure both of them are seen. But you also want to intervene, again you can't really intervene until you have some leverage in the relationship we call that rapport with a client
1: yeah. right
3: and so in order to establish that at least to some degree it is going to take i have found in my work and training about 6 to 8 sessions but you're um, not keeping them like you know well i you know i chain hostage, them hostage if you will well i tag them i put a little gps tag on them before they <laughs> and so it comes with a camera And that way, when they call me and come in the next session and they're like, how come it's not working? I'm like, well, let me skip to that footage. Um, No, I wish I (laughs) I wish and I wish I didn't. Right. So absolutely not. I let them know what is my clinical judgment and what would be appropriate and what to expect. Right. Like when I go get Botox, my my doctor isn't like, okay, you're going to walk out of here and you're going to look amazing like Barbie right here. Right. She's like, let me take like two weeks for you to see any type of difference in your skin. And if you do this consistently, it's going to, you know, give you this and this benefit. So I think, you know, taking that almost medical model approach of, hey, Mm -hmm. this is how long it's going to take for you to notice some sort of progress and difference in your relationship. I think that's maybe even part of the No Surprises Act, where the only part that I actually appreciate.
1: (laughs) Yeah, y'all, we don't have a magic wand either. Like we could say we'd see you for a year, let's say, but like we don't have a magic wand. What if we unearth something that neither one of us saw coming or what if something happens in life that you feel like you need even more, you know, who knows, but therapists don't have a magic wand.
2: I've looked fervently. I. I. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the one other thing I want to add about that package thing, because where my mind went is as a clinician. I like to work with other clinicians, Lana and Brittany know this, because I either send them clients or I have consulted with them. Um, So for me as an MFT, my training, and and Brittany can add how you feel about this as well, I'd like to work communally with the professionals that I can get in contact with, that my client gives me permission to get in contact with. So, you know, I work a lot with OBGYNs, if, if it's a female presenting client that has Um, some kind of physical ailment attached with the sexual component. Um, I like to work with um, physical therapists, other therapists. If you come to see me as an individual, but you need couples, you ain't going to be working with me for both. I need to send you to Mm -hmm. somebody else and vice versa. If I'm working as a couple and they need more support on the individual level. So I think when you said package, I was like, yes, I love a package. I love to work with with
3: all the people I can. (laughs) (laughs) What do y'all think? Package from that approach. I love. We're kind of doing that at the marriage point. I think I shared with you guys during our last consultation meeting. We're really niching, niching down within our niche of couples therapy and, you know, really having each one of our clinicians expert in a specific area in the couple's relationship and in the couple's lives. And so, yeah, it's not uncommon for us to say, hey, I could really help you here with your relationship, but you need to see one of my other clinicians for your individual work. You don't want to mix that, right? Muddy the waters, misalign, all of that. But also I can say, hey, you know what? I really am not an addiction specialist. And I know you have some of that going on in your relationship. It's not active, but definitely there was a history, right? You're in recovery." I want you to be able to have a clinician that has an expertise and experience in that area. So this might be a good fit for your individual work.
2: I want to speak for a moment from the client point of view. I get the allure about packages. That is one of the most common questions I get on the consult calls because I do a free 20 minute consult. And what they'll ask is, well, how long, how many sessions and To that, I mean, I totally get it. From a therapist's point of view, we're thinking in our head, it just really depends. So many factors. It reminds me of that, what is that little reel that has all the equations in the background? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, How long it will take. But for them, it's a lot of money that they're paying. They're seeing it oftentimes as, okay, it's just this issue. They're treating it as, I'm not sure what other area that you would go to and have quick fixes, but whatever that quick fix solution area is, that's how they like to see it. And also I think about the amount of time that they spent tackling the issue on their own. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, I'm going to told- be an asshole and say, uh, I think people want a quick fix or believe that therapy is a quick fix because of life coaches. Oh no. She shot on life coaches again. <laughs> again. Oh no. Biases is coming out. Oh no. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hi, Kristen.
0: <laughs> I am not a life coach.
1: <laughs> I know you're not a life coach. <laughs> and I went to school for coaching. I know that's what you're talking about. <laughs> I just find in my practice, and I'm going to go off tangent for a hot second, that people have come and asking me questions about healthy relationships because that is kind of like the, what I do, uh, my primary niche or focus, if you will. And a lot of people have been like, but I saw on TikTok and I saw on the social media. I'm like, who said it? <laughs> Who's a A life life coach coach. who's just trying to get
3: rich and who's just trying to like get famous. I also want to say that like lately on Netflix and all these shows, there is a therapist, right? I feel like they're getting a little bit better in portraying an accurate therapeutic setup. But, you know, Mm -hmm. there are some shows in the Mm -hmm. past that I've seen, right, where it is portrayed as you walk in. This therapist lays it on you and you're like, yeah, whoa, my life right. altered. Oh, yeah, or the therapist right.
1: Needs- well, that's right, so right. I was thinking in feminist um, media studies, right. Feminist media theory, you can actually not do, I believe, therapy or on a camera because once a camera gets. So what the theory says is once a camera is on you, you automatically you know, put your shoulders back chin up, try to find your angles. You then try to portray yourself in the best light possible. You're not actually getting into that deep place that we need you to get into as a therapeutic session and, and relationship because the cameras are on you. So is it even real? Is it even worth it? So I love that there are quote people who say that there are therapists that go on TV, but I just, I'm like, well, that's not real therapy. Cause like you said, it's not dramatic. I, I think it would be very boring to watch me do therapy. I don't know how y'all yeah. feel about your own process. It would be so boring because we are not throwing things. We are not screaming at <laughs> our clients. We are not like you know having an emotional cry every single time we do that has happened. Oh, no, we're not doing all that. I mean, sometimes, doing- but it's not like a consistent. You know, are not saying? doing it right, Brittany. Well, <laughs> no. No, I, you know what I mean. It's not like a four no, show. You, it, you don't have an audience. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like boring. <laughs>
3: People yeah, are not so- going
1: in trying to have a showboat moment. They are just trying to feel and process and heal. And that, I'm sorry, it's gonna, I'm going to say looks boring. It doesn't feel boring to the client or, or to the clinician, but if you're trying to capture it on a camera. Boring.
0: Well, and I think mm-hmm. what, you know, the knock is on the life coach, if I could speak for you.
1: Please do. <laughs> so I mean, who we is, are one mind. Is yeah, who, those who guarantee
0: like the quick fix, and if you come to me, I'll do this, this, and this for you. And and I think you know, true therapists, real therapists, and true and real coaches don't we don't guarantee an outcome. I, people ask me all the time, well, what can you do? What's going to happen? And I'm like, well, that is depending on you completely. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, and then you have like, you know, because I, you know, at one point did practice law. You know, have Steve Harvey on TV now talking about i'm judge steve harvey and i'm like wait a minute you, you wait didn't he's go not to a judge school. though right he's You're not, not he's- but oh, he has no. a tv show i've watched it once it's it's just painful i I think kind of in the way samantha maybe you are relating to live coaches like it's like it doesn't work like that you i'm know? not
1: relating to them
0: uh, yes my mistake <laughs> but it's i mean he's like up on up on the bench and everything there's you know, yeah litigants and you know, there's a galley with audience yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. So, you know,
1: but like you said it's a, what are they really called? The people who go to these court hearings, they're not right. called audiences. Right.
0: To me, it is an audience. I mean, if you're on TV. And no, it's but I'm courtroom... saying in
1: real life, if you're going to go to court and you have a trial, they're not sitting there like that was a great argument. Like, <laughs> no, you know they're I mean? to, they're
0: no, they're not to allowed to They're not allowed to do
1: right, anything. So like, every, yeah. so when you see stuff on TV, I just, y'all, please take it with a grain of salt and like, Again, it's a little taste. It's a little taste of what therapy could be, core could be. But remember, it is for entertainment. So you're going to see more of the, quote, fun moments versus, like, what it actually is and what it actually feels like.
0: And I will say that, like, back in the day when therapists first started popping up on TV with shows, Mm -hmm. it was like, oh, okay, I appreciate Oprah. You know, thanks, Oprah. um, But, you know, we're going to take a second look. (laughs) Yeah.
1: With that
3: segue, I like a second look because what if you hate your therapist, y'all? What do you do? I think it's okay. I think we could take it back to that human part, right? I know it's difficult and vulnerable to go and put yourself out there and say you need help and find a therapist. And then you walk in and it just doesn't feel right. Maybe you give it one, two, three sessions and you're like, okay, this is not working. Sometimes the therapist is great on paper, this is a fantastic therapist, well-trained, certified, this and that. And you might be nice and ready to work, but it's not a fit. Yeah, it, There's a personality thing that might be going on where you're just not jiving together, right? Something yeah. about that relationship doesn't feel right. And I think this is the part where we need to take like the mystery and the veil off of therapy and bring it back into the real world, right? It's okay to say, that's okay. This isn't a fit. Like, I don't want to be your friend. Like if you meet somebody in college and you're like, Hey, we're going to hang out. And then you hang out and you're like, this sucks. Mm -hmm. It's okay to say, (laughs) you're great. I'm great. I just want to be your friend. Right? Like we don't jive. I think it's scary again and frustrating because you have to start over. But if you give yourself the grace to know it's okay, this relationship wasn't for me, then it might give you an opportunity and the energy to, to try again
1: hope so. Mm. I would hate, like Brittany said earlier, like that one, one and done trying situation. I really hope that people know it's hard. You, how, how easy is it to find a forever partner? How easy is it to find our friendship group? Right? Like we're not going to just roll up and just magically find people. I mean, sometimes, sometimes well, it just happens. Hey, Kristen, I mean, yeah. uh, <laughs> but like most times it's work. And then you have to like, figure out like, you know, if you drive or not. So why would it be any different with a therapist? I'm going to tell you a fun fact. Um, One of the therapists that I saw that I, the moment I knew it was not the right fit and it was just like, I really hate this. I got to go. Um, The girl, she liked, she liked energy work and there's nothing wrong with energy work. I think that's really fun. And if you're into it, you're into it. Like it's, it's a vibe. I love it too. But not when I'm doing therapy and crying about something and you stop what I'm talking about and tell me that there's an archangel next to me trying to give me guidance. Mm. And I'm just like, what the brujaria is this? Like (laughs) I knew in that moment that I would not be back. Not a fit for you. Not a fit. And some people love that. Yeah. That's great. That's wonderful.
3: I had a therapist who, you know, I was in a really vulnerable place. I was in grad school, super stressed out, overwhelmed. Right. And got a referral from one of my professors, went to this therapist, was like looking forward to it, saved up. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like opening up and crying and, she's walking around to make coffee and then coming back and sitting back and like stirring. And her body language is like, "Mm -hmm, I don't care. I don't give a shit. (laughs) Yeah. This is not so hard. Spoiled white girl. So, you know, sometimes that happens. That was definitely not a fit. I was like, "Um, I don't think this is how therapy should go. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to say, Lana, except for
1: wow, And I'm so sorry. And I wish I was exaggerating. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah, so I went back one more time because you know I don't give up, and that's my own therapy work. Um, I mean, maybe you know, like that's that's a good point. Maybe it was a bad day for her. Maybe she yeah. needed the extra coffee. Yeah. But if it was still the same yeah. vibe, she didn't um, do the coffee, really. but she did the whole "I don't give a shit" look, and I was like, okay, emote, like
2: hello. Maybe it was you. that Teddy Rosa. Maybe that was her training. Blank yeah, but to
3: walk around and
1: make a coffee while someone's like booing, yeah. or I'm not saying that you were booing, but you know, I, like looking like, up. That's that's a. I don't know. Yeah. That's not, yeah. that's, that's intense. Uh, I'm
3: still so in the blank. Right. It happens. Uh, you know, I, I know it totally sucked for me. I recovered and I even went on to study marriage and family therapy to Yay. do it. right. Whoa, okay. But I know it's hard. I know it happens and I know it's out there. And so you, you have, you know, you're worth it. Like if anyone is listening and wants to do some work and is afraid to have a bad experience, I wish I could say, try it. And you're, it's all going to go wonderfully and well, I want to say, try it, but also know that therapists are people and sometimes they do have bad days and sometimes they're just not the right fit for you. I'm Um, going to piggyback
1: off of what you said, because I kept thinking about how does someone find somebody or how do you know they're a good fit? Maybe even before you get into the room and that's, that's never a guarantee what I'm about to say y'all, but their website, their website will, should be giving you some indication of how they do therapy, what they are good at, or what their niche is. Nowadays, most people have a social media presence of some sort. That should be a indicator of, at the very least, what they do. Uh, maybe not who they are. But there are ways now, I think, of psychology today, even though it's, mm-hmm. it's not the greatest place on earth, Um, yeah. they have a profile and you should be able to go from there and then go to their website or, you know, go somewhere where they are present, where you could do a little bit more of a deep dive. And then like Brittany, you said you offer a 20 minute consult. Could you tell us what that is? Yeah, sure. So um, people can reach
2: out through my website to request one of these. But what I would recommend through that is it's to see how good of a fit we would be mm-hmm. to also pick up logistics about how this will go. So where do I meet you? What are your hours? It's an interview in some ways, On the part from the client, the client's interviewing to make sure that you are good fit. Do you yep. have specialties? So I won't be wasting my time really. Yeah. And I encourage you to do that. Absolutely. You don't want to be six sessions in and realize this person's not going to be able to help me.
1: Right. And so I would say if a, now I'm going to be a little an asshole again. Apparently that's today's vibe. If someone doesn't offer a consult, whether it be 20 minutes, 10, 15, I get a little worried myself when I hear that, because like, like you said, it's a way for both parties, not even just the clinician, but yeah. both parties to get a vibe check, to ask questions. And it is, I believe an important part of the building of the therapeutic relationship. So you have, the power to ask for a consult. Now, if they don't give it to you, that's it's commonplace. It's commonplace that people don't offer
2: it. It's also
1: unfortunate commonplace of the
2: lack of responsiveness. So I do want to bring that in. Tell us about that. Well, when you were talking about ways to get impressions about um, the therapist or the clinician, I think responsiveness is a part of that. I don't know how many times I get emails saying, thank you for responding to me. Yeah, I'm just like, what do you mean? And they say, well, I've reached out to 15, 20 therapists and you're the only one that's picked up or something of that nature. And, you know, no matter how busy you are in particular, it sends a clear message to that one client who's reaching out to you, who needs help, that it's just more of, I don't matter.
1: And that hits in a very hard place. I mean, we're all busy and I've noticed, I don't know if y'all can speak on this, how many times I, I get a lot of inquiries. So much so I have had to go on my website and other platforms to say, like, I am not accepting clients right now, um, but I do have a waiting list. But even if I'm not accepting, I will make five minutes to try to call back or reach out and say exactly that. I'm so sorry, I'm not accepting, but I would love to put you on a waiting list or send you to somebody that I think would be a good fit. I, as a clinician, as a as a Samantha-ism, believe that that is part of my job. So I will yeah. make the time because that is part of my business. That is part of my job. And I, I just want to apologize on, on behalf of all therapists everywhere that if that's not happening to you and you're making those calls, I'm so sorry that, it, that people are not reaching out. That is unprofessional. But as Kristen and I have said in previous episodes, one of us is right is here to help you find a clinician. So if you do need help finding somebody and, and wanting to know what that looks like, do not hesitate to reach out to the podcast.
2: As far as the consult call, that's pretty much what we're discussing, what we're talking about. And what I would encourage you to do is if you have logistic questions about payments or location to get those questions out right at the front gate, Mm -hmm. what I've had people do is tell me their whole life story in the first 15 minutes. And then the last five minutes, they'll ask you, I take their insurance. Like, well, no, I don't actually, but we've had this moment together.
3: Oh my Ah. god! For sure, Brittany, do you ever offer like a sliding scale for clients that you know if you feel like are a great fit, but maybe they can't afford your full fee?
1: And can you tell us what a sliding scale is for those who are uncertain?
2: Well, when I think of sliding scale, and I was going to comment on this, I think of something a bit more of a formal process that includes me collecting the information of how much you make on a monthly or weekly basis and putting that into a little formula that poops yep. out a number. I said poop. poops out a number. And so, <laughs> I think that I do more of a negotiation. I have a couple of slots available for negotiations where if they cannot pay the fixed rate, more of what's something that will feel like an investment for you to pay, but also is not going to break your budget. And we
1: set that up and have that conversation if I have those slots available. I do the same. And I think if I might be incorrect on this, but I think ethically, at least how I was taught, you need to, if someone asks about a sliding scale, you need to be able to have that conversation. I don't know if that's on the code of ethics or whatever. I think someone told me once, they're like, no, that's a business side. And I was like, that's an asshole therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Someone's <laughs> someone's not going to do it. Like, yeah, you're right. I can't be offering it to everybody. Um, and some people do not qualify because of how much they make. I do have an equation as well. But I think if someone wants to have that conversation with me, I have no problem, like, you know, running through what that looks like and offering it if I do have space available and they meet the criteria. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I have a little follow-up to today's episode is like what therapists need from their clients. And we've talked about demystifying therapy, which I love. Thank you guys so much. But what do you want your clients to know? Like, what do you need from them? What are some things you look for? What are some suggestions you would like to give our listeners so they can be the best client for their experience in therapy?
3: Well, I think that, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, right? That therapy is that fit. It's a two-way street. It's a process. And in order for therapy to be successful, right? It's again, not about us. It's not about the therapist, it's not to stroke our ego or make us feel good or like good therapists or superheroes or whatever. Yep. Yep. It's to, you know, to get the client the best bang for their buck, I guess, to get mm-hmm. them the help that they desire. One thing I think is when you have those conversations, those consultation calls, it it is a two-way street there too, right? So you're determining whether this is the type of client you are willing to work with. Maybe you're an expert, maybe you're the specialist that they, you know, their need calls for, but are you able to work with them, their sort of personality, right? Their expectations. So one thing that I look for in a client is whether they're ready to do some work. Are they exploring therapy right now and kind of somebody told them to go? Everyone's doing it during the pandemic, or are they really interested in getting the help that they need? Right. With couples, that's a good point. Yeah. Like with couples, I always ask the question well, is your partner also willing to come into counseling? Mm. And a lot of the time, like, well, she will be, or yeah, I'll, I'll let them know. So, you know, I don't want it to be a coercive process either like the partner is like, I'm going to bring you to therapy and you must come. I'm not going to support that. So if a couple says, yeah, well, he better. Um, Yeah, he'll be there. Don't worry. Here's his email address. I'm like, well, why don't we set up another consultation call where both of you could be on the call and we can determine whether this is the right time. So I guess that's a really long winded answer to say, One thing I look for is, are you ready to do the work? Are you both, if you're doing couples work, both on board, both ready to do the work? And another thing that I think I look for is, are they able to be transparent? I don't mean about every single thing or break down their own boundaries or walls or go into their trauma session number one or 10, right? I mean, are you able to say, look, I'm here to tell my story. I'm not here to paint myself in this perfect light and you're supposed to magically figure out what is causing these concerns. I'm willing to say, Hey, this is where I struggle. I don't feel so comfortable going into all the details right now, but here, here's where I am. Right. So that's one thing that I think is really helpful to the therapeutic alliance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So That's my answer. I don't know. Brittany, do you have
1: anything? So Anyone? willingness, willingness to show up and do the work and Honesty, transparency. I would, yeah, I was tra- transparency, or like so, uh, the ability to self-reflect as much as they can, where they're yeah. at, to be ready to be successful in therapy. Brittany, what would you add?
2: Well, Lana, I like how you stated about that would be helpful. Just because it, it's not necessarily mandatory in particular mm-hmm. for you mm-hmm. to benefit from therapy, but it sure, sure makes it easier. But I will say the part about. Showing up transparently, and that does seem a little bit of a theme that's been discussed this morning. That is, I would say, a sign of a, as we were bringing in earlier, Lana, a very highly differentiated person. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, sure. and that's I great. just don't find many people to be there yet. Mm-hmm. But it, it certainly is helpful when you do have the capacity to let some walls down, be transparent about what's a boundary crossing, and. Yeah what you would like to receive. So moment by moment, that is, yeah. I find helpful. So house, I'd say for me, people who are right in my wheelhouse rather than stretching competencies.
1: So you, you mean know? like, like a case that you feel comfortable tackling? I guess I it goes, goes into
2: it? comfortability. So okay. yeah, I, I'm thinking competent, really. Competent, you know, okay. so if, if somebody comes to me and they want Sex therapy, they want anxiety management, they want trauma resolution. Yes, come on in to the gates. I can help with that, I can guide. But there are certain areas, and I do want to put this out there. I don't think that therapists are trained to handle everything. Yeah. I do think that that's a perception that clients feel like, okay, well, surely you know how to handle uh, grief or depression or crisis management. And in some ways we may have some baseline, but as far as bang for buck, like you were talking about, Lana, it might suit you well, especially if you have a timeline to meet, to go to a specialist in these areas. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What happens is like in the beginning of the clinician's career, it's like, you don't have, unfortunately, a niche down arena yet, but then you also need to make money. So you, I think that's what happens is like, New clinicians sometimes find themselves taking on all the cases and then being like, oh, I guess
0: I sometimes that's how you figure out what your your niche is.
1: That's yeah, exactly. So so I think there's a stereotype that we are good at all of that because it does come from a place. But at the end of the day you do get like, I never knew that I worked with like personality disorders. Cause I didn't roll up to this world being like, you know what? I love a good personality <laughs> disorder that <laughs> came with my experience. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. You know, I knew that I liked healthy relationships. I definitely like sex and consent and talking about that and sex education, but I didn't realize it was going to be what it has manifested in the way that it has in my practice. Um, now I'm almost like, of course, duh, why didn't I see that? So you're not mm-hmm. always going to know. And so you might not always find a <laughs> clinician but. Again, it goes back to being able to talk with that clinician. If you're working with someone and you're like, man, we're not hitting these grief points or man, I'm not getting what I thought I wanted. Talk to your clinician. And if they also agree, then it it might be time to find a new um, therapist to work with. And that's okay. That's all right. We want want you to heal. At the end of the day, we all got into this uh, profession to help people and to help heal.
3: That's where it goes back to that ethics conversation. When a client calls us and says, hey, this is what I need. We're not ethically allowed to say yes I can do it if you mm-hmm. can I mean if it's a sort of overall kind of concern right maybe when you're beginning you're like okay I think I know but as you gauge listen exactly what you were saying Sam this isn't you know th- this person needs more extensive work here they need to go deeper here I don't have that expertise it's up to us to communicate that right and say hey I really enjoyed this, but I think you'd be better served by this particular clinician with this specialty. Absolutely. I I think
2: it can be hard for clinicians, especially when the client calls you and they see it in you. So I'll give you an example real quick. I Listeners can't see me, but I look very young. So I have a lot of parents who call me who want me to see their children Um, and they say, hey, you know, my young ones, they have self-esteem issues. You're the one to see, you can do it. And then if you get in your head, like, yeah, 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 I can, I can do it. And that's what I would call stretching competency. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, before you got that call that children are not your wheelhouse. Yeah. yeah. Don't dip in those waters. But it's like, but this person sees so much potential in me. And you know how that typically ends with you probably referring out because it's not going, it's not going as small
1: as it could. I'm going to add, I'm to like add something. So like that happens to me too. Not in that way. Like nobody has been like, you're young, therefore you should no, not in that way. But I did during practicum, which means while I was studying to be a therapist, I did work a lot with children, but I realized yeah. in that experience that I was like, oh, this is not the bus for us. Uh, so as I started to, to morph my practice, I kind of started cutting off the ages, right? I thought, oh, well, I could do like 13. No, I don't like it. Uh, I could do like 16. Okay. Now I'm like, definitely work with adults. I will stretch it to 16. If it is a case that I feel competent in doing, if it is a trauma, if I have a good rapport with that uh, client, other than that, no, sorry, I don't work with the children. I don't work with adolescents. There are so many wonderful clinicians that do, that have the specific training to do that population, but it's not me and that's okay. Mm -hmm. I like having those boundaries.
2: So the other thing I would add to what helps, and then we can move on as far as what you can bring as a client into the therapy room. I think this might touch on the readiness that you were speaking on, Lana. I've had clients who come in and they want to be the therapist.
3: You can't therapize yourself,
1: guys. We can't even as like professionals. You cannot therapize yourself. Your brain will not allow it. Oh, I love that. I love when a client comes in. I feel What's like that? that
3: happens in couples a lot where you have like the, you know, identified patient and the co-therapist. No, the co- that's why y'all are both patients. Sorry. And then when we come in do treatment planning,
2: it's just like our strategy. So this is the client. <laughs> our strategy isn't working. It's like, is it? Have you tried <laughs> any of the homework assignments that this therapist has given to you? It's like, no, mostly what I've decided to do, it's not
1: working. I'm going to leave that there. Cause I have way more questions that I think is an off air discussion. Cause I, I have never had a client's both face look me in the eye and be like, it's like our treatment plan isn't working. Do like, you even know what that means? Like, <laughs> uh, I mean, I want some feedback, but also like you cannot, I don't know how many times I have, I have stopped therapy to go, you're therapizing yourself again. Like you can't, even I can't. So like, let me help you you cannot therapize yourself. No one can. And if you find a life coach, she's back at her bullshit again. If you find a <laughs> life coach that says that you can do it yourself, it's crap. They just want your money. Don't do it. Nobody, not even a licensed professional like myself, like Lana, like Brittany, like a wonderful human being that's Kristen. Everyone knows here in this conversation right now that they cannot therapize themselves. So why would you expect that from me? Right. That's ridiculous. hmm.
3: I'm reminded of David Schnarch's um, little, I don't know, sarcastic slash funny comment on it. And I, I'm not going to, I'm going to butcher it, but he says something like, if you're going to be your own therapist, I insist you get your own office. Something snarky and snippy <laughs> like that. I love I, that. I loved it. You know, he, he's, he would just give it to them straight. Like, listen, if you're going to be your own therapist, I insist you get your own office. But while we're here in my office, let me help you out. Uh, that, that, that
1: reminds me of another time where I have been known to be like, I think we're done here today. If, you got, if you're if you not going to let us do this process and you want to therapize your own self, we can just call it a day and I can go do something else and you can go do something else and you can go. So I love that. I'm glad I'm not the only one that's snarky.
3: <laughs> Lana, can you speak to who David Snarch is? Oh my gosh, yes. I love David Snarch. He unfortunately passed um, in 2020, but he is really... I don't even know how to describe him adequately. He was a marriage and family therapist, a professor um, of psychiatry. He was a sex therapist. He um, was the first therapist to integrate sex therapy and couples therapy together. So in the 70s, when we were just coming of age as marriage and family therapists, sex therapy was a whole different branch. And he's really responsible for integrating the two and wrote this great book called The Sexual Crucible. And um, he's really differentiation based, um, kind of strength, uh, strong sense of self, um, a lot of anxiety tolerance. Um, and I mean, I was did some training with him and I was completely my world was turned upside down. And I was like,
2: this is it. Now my attachment
3: stuff." <laughs> So, yeah, he was he was direct and um, just brilliant. Yeah, he's missed. Kristen, sure. yes, I
1: love my co-host, <laughs> my reason for being here. Do you have any questions before we wrap up for this episode? No, I think this is a great
0: discussion. It's um, I think it's really the the match between therapist and client is so important therapist and coach as well
1: but i i just it's not it's those like, life ones but if you're a business one that <laughs> is that's i think that's legit that's more legit than being like i'm gonna tell you how to get a boyfriend in like six easy steps no you ain't
0: yeah you just Next. i love how you lean into the mic like that's your <laughs> thing <laughs> no but i thought i thought it was it was a great exploration today of kind of the ins and outs of matching with clients yeah
1: do we remember our Santa's? So which one of us was right, y'all? I said it was hard to find a good therapist. Kristen, you said.
0: I said with some work, it, it can happen. Just like with love. There's somebody for everybody. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> like a soulmate? Is that what you mean, Kristen?
0: <laughs> I mean, it, not like a soulmate, but I mean, I, you know, to Samantha's point, she said it could be hard to find a therapist. I think you just got to do a little work to find the right one. The The right one is out there
1: for you. So, Which one of us is right, y'all? I'd say the right one is out there
0: for you.
2: Sorry. Well, I'm I'm Samantha.
1: I I think that it's hard to talk there. (laughs) 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 So we're both right. That's right. And that is always the case. We are both right. And this is the point of this podcast. It's not about being right. It is literally about having the conversation, getting the information, doing with it what you will, um, hopefully this has inspired y'all to reach out to a therapist in your area to start that healing journey because it's it's well worth it. It's an investment, but it's an investment in self. And that is the most important person in your life.
3: That's right.
0: I will say before we go, I'm surprised that nobody talks about referrals. What do you mean? Because as a non therapist, if I need or in the past, if I've needed a therapist, I'll ask for a referral from somebody I know. So
1: you're saying that there's referrals, yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think at one point we talked about, you know, how do you go about finding a good one?
1: Mm, OK, most of my clients come from referrals in the community yeah. or they come from referrals from my clients. I think that is a good point that just ask your friends. You never know who's in therapy or has somebody they know or have heard of someone. Has a good like friend. That's a good
2: exactly like healthy walking around look at
1: you with your mental health in
2: check who
3: are you seeing <laughs> <laughs> wait, how do I be like you what who what, 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 uh, what are you doing how are you this healthy give me your therapist name <laughs> hey but I think with the pandemic it's more normal to ask about yeah, that gosh yeah. I hope so I really 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 yeah. really hope so. And so people are more you know I don't know I did a lot of my schooling and have it you know lived in California so on the West Coast in Cali, it was cool to have a therapist. My girlfriends were like, girl, you don't have a therapist? I need a therapist.
1: I foresee that being the, the new norm. I really do. As long as these life coaches don't come out here and try to swoop in and claim their space. Mm. Uh, I think having a therapist will be like just having a doctor. Just Absolutely. part of the norm. Beautiful yes. relationships.
3: Yes, and I think you should have a forever therapist. I do because I mean not like until you're, you know, don't let your therapist ever retire, kind of thing. But or I feel think- like you need to come in weekly for the rest of your what? life because it can come in waves. You could do a bi-weekly,
1: you could yeah. do a month and check-in. A you monthly. could go you could go years without needing support and then being like, you know what,
3: I need to go back to my my person yes. and And that's exactly what we want to see. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, I go to my therapist once a month. Sometimes I don't, I like a bunch of stuff and I'm like, I need like two appointments this week, Mm -hmm. but sometimes I don't, but it's so good to just process and have someone hold that. And she knows my story and she knows my psyche. And I'm like, I feel seen, feel so good. So I think therapy should be a long-term relationship. Maybe not to do like this intense recovery work or repair your marriage, But as a system of support, um, like a wellness point, right? Like a yearly checkup with your doctor, do that with your therapist. Y'all, thank
1: you so much for coming on One of Us is Right and telling us all these amazing things and helping us demystify therapy. Kristen, do you have anything to add?
0: No, I I just want to thank both of you for joining us today. It was a real pleasure to meet both of you. (laughs) you
3: How do we find
1: you if we want to connect with y'all?
2: So I, I can be followed on IG at Be Young Therapy and you go to my website, www.beyoungtherapy.com. That's a way to connect through those consultation forms. Like I was saying, the request information there. I hold a virtual practice in Florida and Georgia, as well as a physical one in Georgia. And I'm in the process of launching a card deck. Show me your cards, which are consent cards that break down intimacy literacy. So if you're thinking about initiating and what stages to initiate with your partner or somebody you want to play with, use of these cards can be found also at my website, www.beyoungtherapy.com.
1: And what are they called again?
2: Show me your cards. Awesome.
3: Lana? Yeah, I can be found at themarriagepoint.com or at the marriage Point on Instagram and Facebook. I think it's just the marriage point. Um, I have a practice in Marietta. I also do virtual appointments as well in the state of Georgia or another state. No, only in the state of Georgia. Yeah. And one thing
1: I'm going to add y'all, you can only work with a therapist if they're licensed in that state. So again, if you need help uh, finding a therapist in your area, feel free to reach out to one of us is right. And I'll get you hooked up the best I can. Kristen, where can they find you? You can find me on
0: the web at madisoncoachingcollaborative.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Madison Coach
1: And as always, y'all, you can find me, Samantha Hugan, at samanthahugan.com or the sci fi therapist on Instagram and TikTok. Just if, you know, my last name's a mess. So when in doubt, the sci fi therapist. This has been One of Us is Right. Thank you so much for joining us. Please like, subscribe, and send all to your friends if you think they would like a listen and like to join in on the conversation. And until next time, bye. This episode is brought to you by two gals who want to change the world. It is produced by Jason Billups from Eargasm. Find One of Us is Right all over the internet, wherever you hang out at One of Us is Right pod. See you there.